I, for those of you that don't know, a little more about me, um, and I have like a short sermon, and God's going to go for it, so don't worry, you're good. Um, I remember I used to lead worship for 15 to 18 years before I started um, just leading. For the first year of the church, I did all of it. So I would, I would lead worship, I would come up here, I would have people be seated, I would take a breath, I would do announcements, I would take a breath, and I would preach, and I would take a breath, and then I was the ministry team too. And, and like, it was like, I would go home and just die. And we went through a season where at the very beginning, I remember the Lord told me, pastors and leaders, when they get started, they're so set on where they're trying to get the church to that sometimes they completely miss where they're at. And the Lord gave me a word. He said, John, he said, take advantage of where you're doing things now that you'll never be able to do again. Changed the whole way I led the church. And that was when I started at the end of the services. I would just say, anybody that wants prophetic ministry, I'll prophesy over you. And you'd have like four or five people line up, you know. And I would do, and that's where I met AJ. I prophesied over him. And um, now I can't do that because I get really hungry about 3 o'clock. And... and <laughs> But I remember, I remember when I was first learning to play the keyboard, it used to be right here. And our <laughs> Ken was here for all of it. Yeah, buddy. And uh, I remember when I first started lead, learning to play the keyboard, I would, we had like nobody in the church. Um, I would stand there and I would imagine what this place would look like with people in it. I, I, would, I would really imagine it. I would, I would be like, I wonder what it would look like with people. And, um, <laughs> and I remember one time I was praying, and the Lord began to give me visions of seeing people lined up down the driveway, down the road, on the Providence Road. And I remember when I first started pastoring at this church, um, the very, maybe this time of year, it is 2016, we sang that song we sung this morning, You Came. I knew that you would come. And the church was like, God was starting to do things. And I remember sitting there and just, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. Like, you came. Like, like when, I, when I stepped in and took the church, I remember one month in, we had like the lowest offering in history. Like, the only lower offering would be a week where there was snow and we didn't have an offering. And I remember, I remember like, we didn't have much money. And I remember Tiffany's like, okay, you got like three weeks of that before we don't get paid anymore. And three months of that before the church isn't going to be here. And I was like, well, thanks for the encouragement. And um, I said, you know what? If God's going to tell us to do this, he's got it. And I, we just went for it. And I remember it was on this time and two, three years ago, um, people just started showing up. Like nobody goes to church this time of year. And people came. And I remember I was like, God, this doesn't even make sense. This is supposed to be the time of year where, like, people all leave. Christmas Sunday was, like, our highest attended service. And it was on Sunday. Nobody goes to church on Christmas on Sunday. And I remember a few weeks later, we were singing that song, and you came, I knew that you would come, and it hit me. I said, he came. He came. I'm taking you through our history, because I think sometimes it's important for us just to realize what's happened. And in this house, um, he's so good. I remember this. <laughs> it's not about numbers. It really isn't. It makes it more fun to have people here, being honest with you. But um, <laughs> people are fun. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, you're sitting here because somebody prayed for you. Probably my mom. 
<laughs> you think I'm joking. She prayed for 25 years over this place. Actually, 28. Actually, she's still praying, so she's crossed 30 now. And my mom, even they even watch from, they're retired and they're in Florida, and they still watch the live stream. And I just love what God's done here. I love what God's done here. So I should probably talk about something. Um, how about this? Let's go to Luke. Are you with me? God's going to blow your mind. You ready? All right, let's do it. Holy Spirit, come on and do your thing. We're waiting for you. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. <laughs> but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, stop there a second. This is backing up a little bit, because last week I talked about John the Baptist. This is an interesting passage that um, another way that you could say this, this is one interpretation where the angel says, um, do not be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Another more accurate way this could be translated is to say this, the prayer that you no longer pray has been heard. <laughs> Sit on that. The prayer that you no longer pray has been heard. So here's Zechariah and Elizabeth, and not too, I'm not too sure when they stopped praying for a child. But somewhere along the way, they quit praying for a kid. They're older in life, could have been 10 years, 20 years since they last prayed that prayer. And the angel of the Lord shows up and tells them, says, good news. That prayer that you used to pray, it's been answered. <laughs> this should bring hope to you for any prayer that you've ever prayed that maybe you even feel like I've quit praying it. There's something that happens that when we're moved to pray on earth, it releases something in the heavens that doesn't stop. It doesn't actually, just because you stop doesn't mean your prayer stops. This is really, really just when you get this. There's a passage in Acts, uh, I think it's Acts chapter 10, it talks about Cornelius. And Cornelius was a man who prayed and he gave generously. He prayed and he gave generously. An angel showed up to Cornelius and said, your prayers that you have been giving, the prayers that you've been praying, it says that it became an eternal offering in heaven. <laughs> Think about this. You can set things in motion here that never stop there. He said, you, 
You gave generously, Cornelius. And now there is an eternal offering that goes up in heaven because of how you lived. When we see the word of God through this and we begin to understand How do I say this? There's no expiration date on your prayers. Just because you stop praying them doesn't mean they stopped. I'm actually going to talk to you a little bit about, I really think we're going to go pretty quick because I feel like the Lord wants to release some, some major stuff in, in your hearts this morning in um, just releasing hope and vision and, and really just filling you up. But I wanted to just lay a quick foundation with that little piece. I bounce around a lot. I just, yeah, you know. <laughs> You're here, so you must be all right with that. <laughs> so often I hear this question, like people are like, well, if God's so good, why doesn't he do it right away? Like if God's so good, why doesn't he answer my prayer? If God's so good, why have I been praying this for years? And why hasn't God, why didn't he heal immediately? Which I love the immediately. I love it when we pray for somebody and the, the pain is gone. That's what we believe for. I believe for immediately. <laughs> now, he may have a process that I don't know about. But I come in and I believe for immediately. But sometimes people want to know, why didn't he answer me? Why hasn't it happened? Why has it been going on so long? And something we need to understand is that God will often... Um, he is okay with withholding immediate gratification to see us step into a lifelong transformation. If, if I were to ask you this, how many of you in this room have been in a process of some sort now for um, more than a year? You're in a process of some sort. Most of us. Okay. The same people that raised your hands, how many of you a year ago saw that differently than how you see it now? <laughs> yeah. Because there's a process that happens. There's, there's things that I look back and I've prayed for, and I remember I, I, when I first started praying for it, I was like, if, if it had happened, I would have really probably blown it. Because God, God is so good to say, hold on a second. It's not that he doesn't want to release answers right away. It's that he wants to get you to the place where you can steward answers. And so sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes six months. Sometimes it takes three weeks, and something happens, and it's like, ah, but he will forego sometimes you getting the immediate gratification because he values transformation. He values that. Maybe, maybe the answers to your prayers aren't being held up by a lack of faith. Maybe you're just in the middle of God teaching something. I have to be careful on this topic because then people will take it wrong and say, well, God's doing bad stuff to me to teach me a lesson. That's not what I'm teaching, okay? But he is that great that he can take something bad and teach something to you in the middle of it. And then in the end, you can look back and say, whoa. I, whenever someone tells me that God just did this to me to teach me a lesson, I'm like, no, no. He's not a deadbeat dad that's just trying to be mean. 
I feel like some people sometimes, I was listening one time to Randy Clark teaching on um, going after more of God and uh, welcoming the Holy Spirit, and he said it hit him, and a lot of us do this, he said it hit me that I would hope that God would show up at a meeting. And he said, I realized when I was a kid, he said, my dad, I think he said, I could be wrong, but I think he said his dad was in the military. And he said, and I was in sports and all this. And he said, I'd always be playing sports, and I'd hope my dad made it. And he said, I would look around, and sometimes he got to come, sometimes he didn't. And he said, I realized that the way I treated Father God was the same way that I expected as a child. I hope my dad comes. He said, the moment that a me- like major breakthrough began happening in his ministry was when he realized God always showed. God always showed. You don't have to come. I don't know about you, but that's like really great news. I don't come on a Sunday morning and hope he shows. I know he's here. That changes your your praise and worship. You're not, I I, I meet some folks sometimes and I I watch them like, well, I'm just waiting on God. I'm like, what are you waiting on? I, I like the people that are really, really holy worshipers and they're waiting. And they'll start moving a little, like I'm feeling it. I'm like, you missed the first 30 minutes of encountering God while you waited on feelings. <laughs> I come to give him praise. Like, I come and I am ready, like, let's go. Like, like I'm, I'm, if, like let's go. Sometimes we hit a point and I can feel, you know what I feel? Sometimes I think we feel like God's showing up more. What it is is you're connecting more. What happens in the room is all of a sudden all the hearts are connecting, and then you're like, whoa, you know those moments where it's like, whoa. It's not that he just decided to show up more. It's that we all just decided to join together because he abides in the praises of his people. So when his people all start praising him, there's a magnification of his presence in the room. You know what a magnification is? A magnifying glass is looking at something that's already there, and it makes it bigger. This is like worship and praise 101. Like you don't have to wait until you get goosebumps to move. He's so good. My wife is not paying me to say all this. Like, it's just she's the worship leader. But... I'm trying to show you how to get more of him, how to receive more. And it comes in with a reality of knowing that he's already here. He's already here. The kingdom of God doesn't leave me. And so sometimes we, we want immediate answers to our prayers, and maybe, maybe our prayers are just caught in the middle of what God is teaching us. And it's just kind of waiting there a moment. Could it be that sometimes maybe we don't even need uh, greater faith? Maybe it's greater humility. I'm just proposing some of these thoughts to you guys. Could it be that sometimes we don't need more prophecy? Maybe he's just trying to bring us into a place of understanding what he's already spoken to us. I, I think we put everything on the faith card, which is so important. But like we prayed for somebody and nothing happened. Well, it's a lack of faith. I can show you so many scriptures where Jesus ministered for people and none of them even had faith. He just did his thing. I 
think that he likes Jesus, the Lord, is such an amazing teacher. Like, like, and I'm going to show you something in a minute that I think will encourage you. When you read your Bible, you really have to look through the filter of what Jesus is trying to teach you and what you're reading. Because there's things that you read, and it's like there's surface level, and then there's the teacher, Jesus. It's like, whoa, there's so much packed into that. And at times, he has to let you wrestle through things. I am... Um, my kids are homeschooled, and the worst thing I ever did was, um, <laughs> Tiffany knows where I'm going, the worst thing I ever did was when they did their end of grade testing, I gave one of them their test, and I'm the guy that, like, I have, it's hard for me to watch my kids get the wrong answer, <laughs> and I'm watching, and they're, and they're like, filling it out, I'm like, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> what, Dad? I'm good, you know, and and I remember I sat there, I'm like, oh, I told Tiffany I can't do this. This is so hard for me, like with my children. Like, I'm, my kids, I love them so much, and I know they need to go through that process. And, and sometimes I think that we look at God as if he's up there like, and I really believe he's up there like, oh, oh this, is, this is challenging, but it's so good. For, you have to go through this. I want you to get the right filter of God when I talk about the topic of God letting us learn things. I feel an immediately like a, something we slap on God, like, a, well, he's in heaven, like, well, once you get this, I'll answer your prayers. When he's really up there just like, oh, come on, come on, you got this. He's so good. And so sometimes he's okay with the delay. Open up. I'm going to read you one more passage this morning. Mark chapter 8, and then we're going to start praying. You okay with that? You okay with some people getting healed today? Cool. Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. This is one of my favorite healings in the ministry of Jesus. So they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? Let's pause a second. Do we think Jesus could have gotten it the first shot? Is there a lack of faith on Jesus' behalf? <laughs> Do we think maybe there's a lesson in this besides just the guy getting healed? It's not a trick question. He says, Do you see anything? Verse 24. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I want to pick this apart. There's some neat little pieces in here that I think will be good. Jesus loved to find moments like these to, whenever I look at a healing of Jesus, there's almost always something behind the healing that he's trying to teach us. He never healed people the same way twice because he knew we would begin to value principles over presence. 
we're, we, we immediately, if we figure out the way to do it, we will remove relationship and we will just do what we think works. That's how church happens. That's how we get into doing really good church. As we're like, this works good. We can get people in. We can get people out. We can be do 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 And we've got this perfect protocol. Jesus was the absolute, he turned things upside down. Because he said, I would rather you understand how to operate with my presence than just to learn protocols that work. And so here we see, like, Jesus was like this school of ministry walking the earth that was amazing. I mean, can you imagine being with Jesus? when You guys, this is all not new to you. But the disciples, the things that they were learning on the fast track. And so here is this, here is this blind man. And a couple things that I want to focus on here. I find it interesting. Let's see here. Where is the scripture? So... I can't prove this, but I would just propose to you that I think that he may have had his sight before. Some of the things that are said in this scripture in the manner of how does he know what trees look like? How does he know what men look like? Even the word his sight was restored instead of he was given sight. So I would just propose that I think he had his sight. And I think something happened. In that time and age, an infection, so many different things could have removed his eyesight. So I think it's interesting that he's, he's now, he does not have his eyesight. And Jesus comes and he takes him by the hand. And the first thing that he does that we just skip right through is he had to get him out of his home village. Taking a blind person out of their familiar territory immediately puts you into a place of leaning on the person taking you that you were never in before. Like, you're okay. You can walk around, like, y'all like me, if you're at night, your lights are off in the bedroom, and you're, like, trying to walk around, and I know it pretty well. You put me in a hotel, and I got to go to the restroom in the middle of the night, and I'm walking into walls and everything else. But Jesus says, okay, first thing let's do, let's take you out of everything that's familiar to you. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, like you probably go to this church because you felt that way at some point. Like, I meet people, they're like, oh, we used to have a guy that came here for a while, such a great guy, and he said, first time I met him, he said, I came to your church last week, and he's like, it weirded me out. <laughs> he was an older gentleman, he was like, I just thought you guys were crazy. He's like, but then I went home, and I realized that I had felt something I never felt in church before. And he kept coming back because there was something in the unknown that was drawing him. And so Jesus, the first thing he does is he says, I need to take you outside of your home village. I need to take you out of the environment that you're comfortable in because for the miracle to happen, I have to get you out of comfort. And so he begins to lead him out. <laughs> and then what does he do? He, he spits <laughs> in his eye. Now, I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> I've thought a lot about this, and, and I've chewed on it, and I'm like, Lord, what's up with that? 
And I think there's more to this, and, and maybe I'm just digging deep, and maybe you go with me, maybe you don't. You can test it. But isn't it interesting that the very thing that has your DNA in it is your saliva? If you were to go on and you wanted to learn your ancestry and you wanted to learn about your history, they're going to do that little mouth swab, and they're going to send it in. Because why? Because your whole history is in your spit. First time I've ever talked about spit this much when I preached. I want you to think about this because here's Jesus. Here he is walking the earth. He was not created by any man and woman. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His very DNA, his history was the same one. In his spit, in his DNA was the one that said, let there be light. Woo, I felt that, man. So the very one that said, let there be light, he comes and that spit, that DNA, he puts it in his eye. And something happens. Now there's something powerful in this for the church because I believe that a lot of us all throughout life, constantly, now it'll always be that way. You'll get in a place where you begin to have vision, you begin to have sight, but you don't yet have clarity. And I find it interesting that it took a second touch of Jesus to give clarity where there was already sight. Could it be that there's something to these encounters and being touched by the Lord that is way deeper than just goosebumps in a worship service? You ever met someone that had an encounter with the Lord in a church service and it changed their whole future? Like everything course corrected. It shifted. I'm going to tell you something unique. I met um, back in 2010. I went to a conference and I was youth pastoring and we took our youth group to this Jesus culture conference. It's crazy stuff to me back then. I've never seen anything like this. And we went to Atlanta. If you haven't heard, the, I'll give you the very, very quick. Yeah, I got a couple minutes. I'll give you the very quick version. Had a youth group. We had already set up this amazing beach trip conference thing we were going to do. We are going to take them to the beach. And I was going to do teachings. And they were going to get to be in the beach and then have fun and all this fun. And, and Tiffany, um, so about two weeks before that, we had found Jesus Culture's music. And I'm like, who are these guys? You understand, 10 years ago, it was a little dry. Like, like you guys... We were in a dry spell in the worship scene about 10 years ago. Like, Matt Redman was calming down, and it's like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> the worship leader in me is like, I get it. And so I, I found these guys, and I, I began to listen to them. I'm like, oh, who are they? If you haven't ever heard the Jesus Culture Consumed album, it'll change your life. And I put that in, and, and they're singing these songs, and I'm, I'm coming alive. And so, Tiffany, i never forget it. I was up here at the church. I was working, and she called me. She said, Jesus culture is coming to Atlanta. I'm like, when? And she's like, it's the same weekend that we already planned a beach trip for our youth group. I'm like, perfect. Because <laughs> they've already paid. <laughs> we already have the date set. I said, and we'll refund them if they don't want to go, but we're switching trips. Oh, I had so many teenagers mad at me 
They're like, really, Atlanta instead of the beach? Um, <laughs> so we went, we went, and I remember it was amazing. I could tell you things we saw. I could tell you people. I could, I've told these stories before. I could tell you the story of a young guy that had hands, but everything stopped at the first set of knuckles. And I can tell you, when I watched, I came into a youth serve, to the, one of the final evening services, and I saw there was a group of people praying in the front, and I didn't know what was going on. And I was kind of looking around to see what was going on, and it kept growing and growing, and a roar of prayer was being lifted up. So I'm getting interested. I'm kind of getting in that little like, Zacchaeus moment. I'm going to go find my way up there. So I was sitting halfway back to the room. I walked all the way over the pews. And I climbed up to the front, and I get up there, and I look over the crowd, and I see my youth group in the very center of it, praying over this kid with no fingers, and his fingers were growing out. Y'all don't understand. He he was uh, from uh, somewhere in Asia, probably, so he had very dark skin. When his new fingers were growing, the skin was light because it had never seen sun. And they said as they put his hands in their hands, they felt his hands growing out. So all of a sudden, you couldn't fight me on if miracles are real or not anymore. And so we're at this event. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa. And this, this guy comes up at the very end. And his name is Randall Worley. And so he gets up and he ministers a sermon that absolutely is that moment for me that it changes the path I'm going on. Like, everything shifts. I'm like, who is this guy? There's some fun stuff you're getting ready to find out. So everything, we came back. I told my dad, I said, let us have the service. Sunday morning service, right? Ooh, the holy service. And, and he's like, take it. And so we came back and we prayed for people and people were getting healed all over the place. And all of a sudden, that moment, that, of course, changed everything. Ten years later, this is fun. Ten years later, a few weeks ago, I'm on a cruise and this guy, guy, how I haven't heard in ten years, Randall Worley starts liking all my Instagram photos. I'm like, this is kind of weird, but cool. You know how it is on Instagram, like, you like people, but they never like your stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and so all of a sudden he begins liking all my stuff. And then we're going to dinner, I get a message, and it says, hey, John, Randall Worley. He's like, I heard so much about your church. He's like, um, primarily from my good friend Bill Vanderbush. And he said, and I heard about this reformer thing you're doing. And he said, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> so here I am, 10 years later, when God shifted things. The things that you can't make happen begin to happen. It begins to take this massive shift. And what happened was that when I had a touch from God, you see, I already had my sight, but when he came again, he gave me vision. And I had my sight, but I, anybody ever felt that way when you go to church? It's almost as if it was just blurry. 
It's just blurry. It's like I'm here, I feel what's going on, I see things, but it's almost as if it's just blurry. Some of you, that's all you've ever known, and there's good news. There is vision that he can give you. There's clarity that he can give you. I believe that if Jesus did this, why did he do this? Why did he pray for someone twice? He was trying to show them that there will be times that you need another touch. You must have a second touch. Believe when God shows up and he begins touching our hearts, there's something that should be happening that our vision should be getting clearer. We should begin seeing things more clearly. Could it be that sometimes he has to take us? I just want you to look at the story one more time, and then we're going to pray. He came to this town. He took this man. He said, I need to get you out of what you're familiar with. And we've seen Jesus, we've seen this miracle done before where he has to often remove all of the familiarity and all of the voices of doubt, and he has to get them out and shut the door. Sometimes when things feel like they're getting reduced in your life, just realize that sometimes he could be reducing you to strength. Just realize Gideon's army had to be reduced to strength. Numbers doesn't mean strength. Gideon's army, he had to come and say, okay, this is great, but we got to get rid of a lot of this. We got There's so much fluff here. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of the stuff you have to do drink like dogs in the water <laughs> at least we haven't had you do that it was a joke by the way I could feel like <laughs> I could feel the awkward in the room like I'm not doing that <laughs> I could feel the moment I said it it was like no uh, <laughs> Maybe sometimes he had to get you away from everything you were familiar with just to get you into the atmosphere where he can do your miracle. And maybe even though you've been in that atmosphere for a little while and you say, well, I got some of it, but I'm so frustrated because I haven't seen all of it. Maybe you need a second touch. I'm just showing you something with the Father here, that Jesus knew that he knew that the moment that his DNA, he knew that the moment that everything that was in him, the kingdom was in him when he placed it on his eyes, the very one who once looked at darkness and said, let there be light, when that hit his eyes, they opened. But it wasn't good enough. It's not good enough if you're in blurry vision. Man, I feel so many people in the room. I can feel I'm talking that it's resonating in your spirit, that there's blurry vision in the room. And you can't often get it counseled into you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I value godly counsel. But sometimes it's not going to come through counseling. Sometimes it's going to go through you having an encounter with Jesus. And it shifts things. It shifts things. Isn't it interesting that the longer 
we love God, the more sometimes we find out how much we don't know. <laughs> Anybody I meet that's been a Christian for a long time and thinks they figured it all out scares me. Because the, the older I get, the more, I'm not going to say dumb I feel, but the more I don't know. Because I come into his presence and I realize there's so much. There's so much to him. Jesus did this all the time. He did it with Peter. One of my favorite scriptures was when Jesus first came to Peter, and I'll close with this. Jesus came to Peter, and he was just finished fishing. And he came in, and they hadn't caught anything. <laughs> know how that is, don't you, Ken? <laughs> Ken was a fisherman his whole life, so. I'm convinced I only fish because God is definitely teaching me something because I never catch anything. <laughs> Peter has fished and fished, and he comes in, and the fish that he was trying to fish for, it was the time of day now where they weren't biting. So he comes in, and here comes Jesus. We skip over so much in this story because we just focus on when Jesus told him to go back out, throw your net on the other side, but there was something before that. Jesus needed to borrow his boat. And so he comes to him, and the crowds were following Jesus, and there, he was trying to speak to the crowds. So he asked Peter, he says, Peter, can I use your boat? I usually will do this in offering because I think it's so powerful to understand that that boat was his resources. That boat was his finances. There's, there's a powerful teaching on giving in this because he said can I use your finances to advance the message of the kingdom and so he comes to him and and he says you know my word sure and so Jesus goes out there and he ministers and then he comes back in and he tells Peter thank you go back out throw your net on the other side of the boat it's gonna work okay so Peter there's such a lack of faith in this scripture like, when you read this in your Bible, you will find, like, no moment where Peter was like, yes, Lord. It was like, Lord, it's not going to work. You can call him Lord either. These boats were not, like, massive ships. I find it comical that Jesus was like, okay, you tried fishing on that side last time. Fish on that side. Jesus, I think, was just messing with him at that point. That's my personal opinion. I think when Peter got to heaven, Jesus was like, remember that time I was like, throw it on the other side, and you did it? <laughs> so he goes back out, and he's like, he, he basically says to the Lord, he says, he, he obeyed. He, said, he was basically communicating, I don't think it will work, but if you say it, I'll do it. And there was something on Peter that we even saw as he went forward, but he goes back out, and what happens? He throws his net on the other side of the boat, and he, not only does he catch fish, he calls out all of his business partners, all of the other fishermen, and they all caught fish. Like I said, there's a powerful teaching on giving that you can step into such a place of financial breakthrough that even your business partners get blessed. But that's not what I'm preaching on. And so... What happens? Peter comes back and he says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to get out of what's familiar and I'm going to follow you. <laughs> Peter's the one that when Jesus preached the most controversial sermon like ever, 
Like, you're going to need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he didn't pause and say, no worries, it's just a metaphor. It's the metaphor. We know that he started that sermon with a lot of people there. We know thousands were there when it started. We know at the end of the sermon, he turned, and the only ones there were his disciples. I've yet to preach a message where I ran everybody out but the front row. I'm not trying to. That's kind of what happened. He preached a message, and everybody left. And then at the end, they're like, he's like, this is a hard one. And I love Peter, though. Here's where it is. Here's where it is. Peter said, all I know is that your words are life. And where else would I go? We give Peter a hard time because he had a big mouth. But I think Jesus had a soft spot for Peter. Peter was the one that when he saw him on the water, he said, I'll get out. I believe we're being led out of familiarity. And sometimes it's, some people it's great, some people it's scary. I think at, one, at some point it can, for any of us, it can be like, well, all right, where are we going? But I want to encourage you this morning that I feel a word from the Lord for this room that just because you're in that place of unfamiliarity, don't confuse that with being in a place that you think is not where he wants you. Because sometimes when we get into a place of unfamiliarity, someone will come speak into our life and be like, well, where was the last time you felt God or something, yada, yada. I still feel God. Don't let people that deal with fear counsel you out of where God's trying to take you. Make sure people with faith speak into you. Let's, let's stand up and I'll pray over you and release you in a moment. And then we're going to pray over people. There's going to be a massive clarity of vision in this room this morning. I can feel it. And I actually feel, this is going to be weird, but I just felt this. There's going to be people, people's eyes physically getting healed. Those of you that wear glasses and every time we call for healing and you never think about it because you've just decided that's part of your life. <laughs> Symphony's like, I just got new glasses. Really? <laughs> I'll buy you fake ones. <laughs> Test it first. I had a guy in youth ministry one time. I prayed this, and I'll never forget it. He took his, his glasses, and he smashed them on the floor. And he was like, I didn't get healed. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. It was, I look back, and it was definitely funny. Um, you learn to laugh at this stuff after a while. Like it's, like, it's all part of just the process that we were talking about earlier. It's a journey. I don't leave let down if, if someone doesn't get healed, but I sure leave encouraged when they do. So in Jesus' name, whoa. I said in Jesus' name. Can you just say the name of Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Father, we call on you right now. And Jesus, I, I, Father, I feel it in this room that you have taken many out of familiarity in what was a very challenging um, step of faith. And many in this room, I feel like you have sight but no vision. 
And I feel like the Lord wants to give vision this morning. And so I speak over you and your spirit, man. The Bible says, I believe it's in Ephesians, it talks about the eyes of your understanding. There is eyes that are with revelation. So I speak over your spirit eyes that they would have clarity. And I feel a grace for vision this morning. All of you who are heavy burdened, just, it sounds silly, but just literally, you, it's so easy. Take a big breath and just let it out. You're going to feel that release. There it is. Peace just went through the room. Now, in that place, I speak to the eyes of your heart that they would see and they would see clearly. Confusion, go. Doubt, go. Now, if you have um, eyesight problems of any kind, whether it be you just don't have 20-20 vision, yeah, we're shooting for 20-20. Maybe there's glaucoma, um, whatever, pressure. I feel like there's people in here that have pressure in your eyes, like you feel pressure all the time. Yeah, those floating like specks and spots that you see. In Jesus' name, I speak to your vision. And I say, be made whole right now. Right now. Right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I feel somebody with real bad pressure in their left eye. It's going to release. Right now. Release. Thank you, Jesus. You're good, God. So go for it. Feel free to check it out. And if God's doing anything, if you feel something going on in your eyes, make sure to wave a hand at me. Because I'll wait. I feel like that pressure thing. Does anybody deal with that, like a lot of pressure in their eyes? Is there someone in the room that deals with that, maybe? Here? Somebody say over there? Anywhere else? You as well? Okay. I speak over here. Uh, do, you, do you feel it now, by chance? Or no? Okay, a little bit. I speak over you right now that the pressure would be, re um, it would be removed from your eyes. Both of you um, over here as well. The pressure would be removed now in Jesus' name. Now in Jesus' name. Now in Jesus' name. Now in Jesus' name. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Also, I also feel, um, uh, what is it called, TMJ? Is that the jaw thing? That's being healed, if that's you. If you deal with that, raise your, raise your hand so I know where you're at. Here, here, here. Keep your hand up until somebody puts their hand towards you. How about that? Let's, and All right. In Jesus' name, I speak to that. Every issue of the jaw right now, be released. Be released. Be released. 
can be released. Yeah, yeah. I feel one more. I feel RLS. That's right, you got healed of that. My wife has been healed of TMJ. RLS, restless leg syndrome, anyone who deals with that? Yeah, yeah, that's miserable by the way. If you've ever had that, it's absolutely miserable because I dealt with it not too long ago. Landis in the back in the sound booth. And uh, okay, all right. In Jesus' name, I need you guys to pray with me before we wrap this up. I release complete healing and wholeness over everybody in this room right now that has raised their hand for either issues with their eyes, for TMJ, or for RLS, restless leg syndrome. And I also speak if there's something out of alignment, that was my case, uh, if there's anything out of alignment in your lower back that's causing RLS, I speak alignment over you right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name, I pray that you would be aligned in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Yeah, you're so good, Daddy. You're so good. I'm going to welcome the prayer team to come up while we're wrapping this up. Uh, if the prayer team could go ahead and come forward. Father, I thank you, Lord. Whatever there, I feel just like if there's needs in the room, I feel like sometimes we don't ask for healing for things that we think aren't a big deal. But at whatever it might be this morning, if there's something that you need healing for, um, it doesn't matter how simple it is. Also, ringing in the ears, that's, that's being healed this morning. Please testify if you're getting healed. Come grab one of us. We want to hear what God's doing. But we speak complete wholeness. All right, Father, I bless everybody in the room this morning, Father, and I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you, Father, in your DNA, mm, Jesus, creation is there. So even things that are not there, those that need a creative miracle, I release the creative aspect of God the Father in this room right now. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.